0: As the screens aren't in action, if you would like a Bible to follow it, put your hand up, and I'm sure one of the ushers will bring you one. Today we're reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning at verse 37. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the splinter that is in your eye? When you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye, hypocrite. First, take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye. A good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundations on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was
1: great. Good morning, friends. My name's Mark. Please keep that passage open in front of you. Uh, We're gonna spend a moment unpacking it. And you also find an outline in the middle as a special, it's not two columns, it's two whole A4, A5 pages, so heaps of room to write down notes. Uh, It's great to see a few faces returning from uh, joining us again this morning. It is, uh, the great thing about resetting is that they've been able to join us and not feel that they've been locked in like they're sitting in someone else's reserved spot. So it was open seats today and uh, I trust you've reserved your uh, permanent position for the future. (laughs) I'm going to begin now in prayer, so please join me as we uh, uh, hear God speak to us this morning. Our Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for sending your Son into the world so that we might know you and know how you desire for us to live. We ask this morning that you remind us again what it means to follow Jesus as our Master, our Lord and Saviour. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Uh, I'd like to begin this morning sharing with you about a a great experience that I had when I first started off in my engineering career. Uh, For I had a, a co-worker who took it upon himself to mentor me. Uh, many of you have had similar experiences maybe. You've had an apprenticeship or someone has mentored you at work. Uh, you might have had a boss who not only would who just didn't tell you what needed to be done but also brought you alongside them and explained the role, helped uh, grow you in the role, explain the business, develop and improve your skills and so on. Uh, you might have even had the privilege of being discipled by another Christian. Uh, another form of mentoring and, and discipleship. Uh, my, me- my mentor was a man named John. Uh, he was a very smart guy. He had a PhD in solid-state physics. Uh, he'd, he'd tutored the Crown Prince of Thailand back in the 70s uh, before spending uh, half a dozen years lecturing in physics in India. Uh, he worked for numerous multinational companies, uh, in India, Malaysia, Australia and, and the United States and I, and I had the privilege of working alongside of him when, uh, in Malaysia uh, and his business smarts were priceless. Uh, he could explain how to approach a- and speak with Chinese or Malay or Indian businesses, uh, how to relate to people from those cultures, how to entertain them and how, how to get your foot in the door. Uh, He introduced me to his business contacts, uh, which was very helpful. And he would often pass on a a book to me that was on business or economics or culture. Uh, I spent three years just picking his brain, uh, just trying to understand uh, uh, how to do business in Malaysia. And uh, he had some amazing and perceptive insights. The best aspect of being mentored by John was that he was also a very faithful and wise Christian. Uh, Each day I'd expect he'd come into our office and he had a gem of scripture that he he wanted to share with me. Uh, His love for God shaped how he treated people. So he always uh, used his cross-cultural experiences to try and speak about the news of Jesus uh, with people. Uh, his business decisions, the way he raise, was raising his family and managing them, and the way he served God in his gospel were, uh, were really shaped by his love for Jesus and, and his teaching. John was a great role model for me, and, and it was a real privilege to learn from him. This morning as we return to Luke's gospel, uh, we dive again into Jesus' Sermon in the Mount. Uh, in our passage today, Jesus teaches us <clears throat> about some basics of Christian discipleship. Uh, if you're familiar with Luke's gospel, you'll know that Luke uh, packs a lot in uh, to this book about discipleship. That's one of his key themes, and Luke so Luke continually examines Jesus' teaching uh, about discipleship from different perspectives. Uh, Just like John would be continually passing on advice to me for different situations. The two main aspects of discipleship in today's passage uh, are raised by questions concerning, firstly, who should we follow? And secondly, what does it mean to be a disciple? Uh, The first question there is really critical who should we follow? Uh, John was an outstanding mentor. Yet I can remember in my uh, when I was a young teenager, there was another guy who offered to disciple me, uh, but always found his teaching to be different. And I realise now that he didn't really know the message of the Bible. And unfortunately, he's, he's had a very sad life uh, because he didn't understand the Gospel. Uh, so identifying and knowing... That what sort of leader we should follow is vitally important, uh, a vitally important first step. Uh, for the right guide and teacher will lead us in uh, living in a manner that God desires and especially preparing us for that day when we will meet our God. Now, now you may have noticed that this morning that our passage actually starts in a very abrupt manner. A series of four commands with four consequences. And verses 37 and 38 uh, are actually connected, they're the final application points of Jesus' sermon about love, which began way back in verse verse 27. Uh, of course, that teaching on love is the core to Jesus' Sermon on the Plain. Uh, so it's very helpful for us to remind ourselves of it. And, uh, and we'll, he actually, by, it's a big implication for us by the end of this uh, chapter. So it's good to remind ourselves. If you cast your eyes back up to verse 20, you remember that Jesus started talking about the, the rich and the poor. Uh, The poor were were those who identified themselves with Jesus in this age and they were persecuted for it. They they are the ones that have an eternal perspective, looking forward to heaven, uh, that is, having a relationship with God. Uh, The rich, on the other hand, are those who reject Jesus and his disciples and who live for the present. So remember that Jesus uh, encourages and comforts and commands the poor, commends the poor uh, while he warns the rich. And then Jesus went on to explain his love ethic. Uh, that is, Jesus' disciples are expected to act with costly, self-sacrificial love to everyone, especially those who persecute them like the rich. Uh, have a look again at verses 35 and 36 where Jesus really summarises his main principles. Uh, he writes there, verse 35, But love your enemies, do what is good, and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he, that's our God Most High, is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. The reason Jesus' disciples love and care for those who hate them is because that is how God treats us. Do you remember that? That's what we looked at a month or so ago. God loves us uh, even though we were rebels against him, even though we're ungrateful to him for giving us life. God is merciful towards us Uh, not treating us in the manner that we deserve, that is, condemning us uh, and and judging us for our sin. Rather, God shows us grace. And consequently, God's grace must be reflected in the actions of of his disciples. So Jesus continues in verse 37, really giving the practical advice what it looks like and, and what it means for his disciples, what it means to show grace to others. So he says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Four parallel commands there, do you see them? Leading to four statements of promise. Not judging and condemning is parallel with forgiving and giving. Or we we might actually say being gracious. That's what giving is, being gracious. And remember, that's how God treated us in mercy. He is slow in judgment, but preferring to forgive than to condemn. And so this is how Jesus instructs his disciples to live. Uh, These promises which motivate us stress how God will treat us. We don't judge and condemn because we certainly don't want God to judge and condemn us. Uh, And really as we look back to that cross of Jesus Christ, that's the assurance that we have, that we will be forgiven and shown grace. And we look forward to that future day of judgment. Uh, and we hold firmly to this promise that God will not condemn us because of Christ's death. God's excessive grace to us is shown to us, is shown to us in Jesus. Uh, and so now our lives are shaped by the forgiveness and, gen- and a generosity towards others. Now Jesus used a, a fascinating illustration here in verse 38. There was a time when you couldn't actually walk into a, a shop and say, grab a, a one kilo bag of processed flour off the shelf. Rather, I want you to picture a farmer in a market selling his grain that he's grown in the field. Uh, when someone wants to buy grain, is a very visual demonstration for you today. Our grain of choice is popcorn because we haven't been able to go camping for two years, so this is the old popcorn that sits in our cupboard. So, here's, here's the farmer with his measuring cup. He fills it up. He fills it up. He pats it down, like so, so you get the correct measure. There's, that is a measure. That's what the illustration is being used. Um, there is no handy plastic bag to use, so it is poured into your lap. You catch it in your apron sort of thing, so you can carry it home. So that's a standard measure to measure something out. However, notice how God measures in verse 38, and by implication, how we measure our love. The good measure isn't merely pat down and shaken, so you get the correct amount. The measure... Overflows. That's, that is God's measure there. Sorry, Simone, you've got a task a bit later on. Did you see where that all went? <laughs> uh, it's an illustration of God's grace. It, it's more than a measure, it's overflowing. So, how does Jesus instruct his disciples to show unexpected uh, self sacrificial love? Well, like God, we are extremely slow and hesitant in judging and condemning. We seek, like God, to forgive more abundantly than is expected. We give, we are gracious more abundantly than is expected with our time, with our finances, with our lives. As I've mentioned, Jesus' love ethic is really the core of this sermon and we will return to consider its importance uh, for Jesus' discipleship shortly. Um, You see in verse 39, Jesus transitions into the final point of his talk. It's really a a good three-point talk, if, if you really think about it. The love ethic is the second point. What we're looking at now, when he starts to speak in parables, is his third point. And I've mentioned Jesus wants us to consider who we follow Uh, What struck me as I prepared this passage is how ordered Jesus' message is. Uh, You'll notice that each paragraph in in verses 39 to 49 begins with some questions and then then he makes some statements, often in contrast, to explain his point about discipleship or about leaders. Uh, He really gets us to consider our teachers and leaders from a disciple's perspective. So let's consider what Jesus firstly says to us in verses 39 and 40. So Luke tells us, He also told them a parable. Can the blind guide the blind? Won't they both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher." So, it begins with two rhetorical questions there, verse 39. Uh, a blind person cannot effectively uh, guide another blind person, can they? Uh, for yes, they will both fall into a pit. Uh, the obvious question, it reminds me of that Monty Python sketch from um, Life of Brian, I think. Uh, the blind guy who falls into the pit, he doesn't know where he's going. You can look at it later. Um, I think it's supposed to be comical. We'll see a few of these are quite funny if you think about them. The obvious question we ask ourselves is, who is actually a suitable guide? Uh, Who should we follow? Well, obviously the blind teacher, the one without knowledge or the one without authority, is of no help to us. Uh, Jesus explains what he means in verse 40 from the perspective of being a disciple. Uh, Firstly, in the negative, a disciple is not above his teacher. It doesn't really make a great deal of sense if the disciple has more knowledge and more authority than the teacher. Um, that no one would seek an apprenticeship with someone who is unqualified or inexperienced in their trade. Uh, in the same way, we seek to be guided by the teacher who has that knowledge of, of the trade. So, who should we follow? Well, please rule out the blind teacher who neither has authority nor knowledge. Uh, We'll we'll answer the question uh, more fully as we work through this passage. Jesus' second point uh, about discipleship is made in verses 41 to 45. Uh, Have a look again how the leadership question, who should we follow, is raised in verses 41 and 42. Uh, Jesus continues, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye or how can you say to your brother brother let me take out the splinter that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the beam of wood in your eye hypocrite first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take out the splinter in your brother's eye So again, the two questions in verses 41 and 42 have become very well-known proverbs for us, haven't they? Uh, And again, I think they're very comical. You you can just picture some dude with a huge plank in his eye um, that's swinging around. They're not the person that's going to be able to help you take out a small little splinter in your own eye. Yet Jesus' point is clearly made, if not harshly, in verse 43. He calls such a person a hypocrite. The hypocrite is the worst form of leader you might have, telling you how to live, but not willing to live that way themselves. Jesus continually brings this charge against the religious leaders of his day, uh, like the Pharisees. Obviously, we should not... Uh, be at all surprised that hypocrisy still plagues leaders today. Um, in thinking of a secular illustration, I think for the last two years we've seen the media uh, seeking gotcha moments, trying to find politicians when they're not wearing a mask or not doing what uh, l- laws they've enacted. You know, they're trying to point out that politicians are hypocrites. Well, the real danger that we should be aware of and really be praying against are hypocritical leaders in our church. Those who devour others with false teaching or placing burdens on people that they are unwilling to meet themselves. Uh, We can sometimes forget that leadership in God's church is actually all about being a servant. Well, Jesus tells us what sort of leadership uh, what sort of leader we should look at uh, look for in the second half of verse 42? It's the guide or teacher who firstly deals with their own problem. Uh, the one who recognizes the importance of taking out the plank from their own eye first. And really Jesus continues to explain this point again from the perspective of, of a disciple. In verses 43 to 45, unfortunately, the CSB has left out an extremely key word in verse 43. It's the word "for." Uh, in verses 43 and 45 to 45, Jesus gives us the reason why self-assessment is vitally important for leaders. So he says, "For: a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit." On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart, for out of his mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Now, it isn't actually necessary to have a degree in uh, fruit trees or how to grow them, to understand Jesus' point. We know that uh, the fruit a tree grows indicates its health. Uh, We test and assess the fruit to determine the tree or plant's health. So, how does the disciple or the teacher or the guide assess their fruit? Well, Jesus tells us here we have to look at our hearts. All of us have a problem with our hearts. It is with our hearts that we determine whether we are healthy or not, whether our hearts are corrupted by sin or not. So we can identify the heart of a teacher or disciple through their actions and their speech. The hypocr- for example, the hypocritical heart is identified by its inconsistencies, uh, saying one thing but doing another. So, as disciples or teachers, we begin by knowing and assessing our own hearts. The heart of Christian discipleship is personal self assessment. We know our hearts have, were corrupted by sin. Our hearts drove us to reject God and to seek what pleases ourselves. Again, we have the assurance that comes from knowing the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that our hearts now have been transformed. They've been recreated. And that's how God looks on our hearts. Yet we are still tempted by sin, aren't we? We are tempted by its pleasures and we will be until Christ returns. So which leader do we follow? Certainly, not the one who is a hypocrite. Discipleship, though, rather, is all about following the one who knows his own heart, uh, the heart where words and actions uh, match. The one whose heart is fruitful, because they're, they're, uh, the one who is fruitful because their heart is pure and good. And so as we come to verse 46, Jesus actually gives the game away. Who is the teacher that we should be following? Who is our leader? Who's our guide? Well, by verse 46, Jesus is sticking his hand in the air saying, I am your Lord. I am your master. Uh, We we might have people who mentor us or discipleship us, and there's wisdom here that you might apply to those relationships. However, in this sermon, Jesus wants us to firstly and foremostly follow him. Is foremostly a word? Oh, thank you. It is not a word. You get the point, though. First and foremost, we need to follow him. Was that grammatically correct? Great. uh Jesus is our one guide and our one teacher who we must follow. You see how he uses the leadership question again in verses 46 and 47 and applies it to himself. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and don't do the things I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words and acts on them. So the assumption here in verse 46 isn't whether Jesus should be followed. Jesus is claiming to be the only teacher who can truly guide. The disciples are called to come, verse 47, to me, to Jesus. Jesus is the only one we should follow. He is the leader whose words and actions are authoritative and knowledgeable the heart of being a disciple of Jesus is listening to his words, his teaching and acting in obedience. Uh, As I've mentioned earlier, the core of Jesus' teaching here in this chapter is actually about extreme self-sacrificial love. The test of discipleship is whether you've heard that challenge of costly love and willing to measure, remember, measure, up to it in your actions and we certainly can't call jesus a hypocrite with regard to god-like love he gave his own life so that we might have forgiveness from sins and become sons of the most high god if we consider ourselves jesus disciples if we call him lord which here, it just means master or sir. It's a, what um, I hear during lockdown, I kept hearing Pippi uh, say on Zoom to her teachers, yes, miss, or <laughs> yes, sir. You know, that that's the way they address teachers at school, miss or sir. This is very similar to the way we might have used this uh, term here uh, as Lord. But as, as JJ pointed out in the introduction, Jesus is actually the Lord, the master of this creation. He is the ruler of, of everything, the boss over everything in this creation. And we must listen to what he says and we must put it into practice. The illustration Jesus, Jesus uses uh, to back up his point is well known to us. He uses a very similar illustration at the end of the Sermon of the Mount, on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel. Listen firstly to the person who follows Jesus by deeply anchoring themselves to Jesus' teaching and consistently acts in the same way. So he says from verse 48, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. It's a a picture of a man doing everything to make sure his house is securely founded, digging deep down into the stone, uh, deeping wide trenches to secure beams to the rock, uh, making a strong foundation. The assessment of that work comes when a great flood smashes into the house. This house with its strong foundations remains secure. The other man takes a very simple approach, verse 49. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it and immediately it collapsed and the destruction of that house was great. The disciple who barely listens to Jesus' teaching, rejecting its costly implications, and who does not seek to apply it to their lives, is facing certain destruction. When when opposition from the world uh, comes, or when God's final day of judgment comes, which is this great destruction I think Jesus is talking about here, how will your efforts be assessed? Can you honestly say that Jesus' teaching is a priority in your life? Do you regularly assess your own heart according to Jesus' teaching? Do you dig deeply into scriptures by yourself or with others, like in a gospel team or here on Sunday? Have you been putting, seeking to put such teaching into practice day by day? Uh at the end of his point about love, Jesus instructed us to be slow in our condemnation and judgment and being generous in forgiveness and grace. Have you been able to do that in the last month since we've talked about that passage? Uh, again, w- we acknowledge that love is extremely costly. Forgetting, forgiving and forgetting an offence against you is extremely hard especially if that pers- the other person is unrepentant. We're not denying what Jesus says in the core of this passage is easy. It's not easy. Rather, we have to be committed to hearing it and putting it into practice, laying deep foundations into these things because we know our God, we know how he treats us and how he sent his son to die for us. That is our motivation for, for those deep foundations. I want us to spend a minute in self-assessment now considering our own hearts. Ask yourself, how well have you been going in following Jesus? Listening to him and applying it to your lives, putting into practice. Maybe ask yourself, what will next year look like? if I take Jesus' sermon here alone seriously. Let's spend one minute doing that silently and then I will pray for us. Our Father, you know our hearts, you know our struggles. We ask that by your spirit you might give us the strength and courage to follow Jesus this coming year immersing ourselves in his teaching and obeying it as you desire. Give us the assurance of faith that we have in Jesus because of his death and resurrection for us. That when we face that great day of condemnation, we can know that you will be gracious, that you will be forgiving, that you will not condemn because our Lord and Saviour died so that we might live. We just pray that you'll give us this hope and motivate us to act and follow Jesus as our our Lord, our Master and our Saviour. It's in his name we pray. Amen.